Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. We hope you enjoy today's message. Read verses 10 through 23, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, reads like this. It's the Apostle Paul. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to to show it. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned, I've learned, I've learned, if you're taking notes, I would underline learned, I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot in any and all circumstances. Once again, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You've seen that on a bumper sticker before. Verse 14, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints you send send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you're going to do in our lives today, God. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for all of us, Father. I pray today, God, that you would just work in our hearts, that you transform us, God, that you renew our minds, God, that we would actually grow as we listen and learn. My prayer today, God, is that we don't just be observers of the word of God, but that we participate in the preached word of God. And so, Lord, I pray today that whatever's going on in our hearts and minds, whatever worries we have, whatever cares we have, although they may be legitimate, God, I pray, Father, that in this moment in time, God, we would cast our cares on you. And so, Father, I pray, God, just do work in our hearts. Do work in our lives today, God. Let us not leave the same way that we were when we came in, Father. And so, Lord, we pray today, God, that above all, that Christ would be glorified, that we would know Christ Jesus, that his name would be made known, that we would actually grow in him. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said amen. You may be seated. From the sermon series Rebuild, I think after looking at the entire book of Philippians, after seeing the grace of God at work in the lives of the people in Philippi, seeing that they actually lived out what they said they believed. They actually, their lives were proof that the gospel is transformative, that the gospel is actually effective, that it actually doesn't make behavior modifications to our lives. It doesn't just make us better than we were before, but it actually makes us new. We are born again. The gospel actually makes us new, but 
But we can say that, but, but then there comes a point in time in our walk with God that, that there needs to be some proof in the pudding. That people actually need to see that we live what we say we believe. So I think it's fitting today that I would title this sermon, We Need Some Receipts. We need some receipts. I hear what you're saying, but we need some receipts. We, we've been talking about the warm and affectionate relationship between Paul and the Philippian church. Matter of fact, there's one verse in the beginning in chapter one where Paul tells them that just as you have always obeyed, meaning that they actually listened and implemented what he taught them. He says, so now not only in my presence, but more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This was a church that actually was obedient to the word of God. And I want to say this today. Yeah, we are a church that we, we thrive on having a sound doctrine and a sound theology. That's important for us. We want to make sure that we understand the word of God accurately. We, we want to know and understand the word of God so that we can know how to live rightly, so that we can live our lives to the glory of God, so that God can be pleased with our lives. Yes, we want to understand theology, but we don't just want to understand theology in our minds and leave it there. We want it to play itself out in our hearts so we can put some feet behind what we actually believe. Do you know that to say that you are a believer, to say that you are a follower of Jesus, there needs to be some evidence in your life that you actually follow Jesus. It was Jesus who said in John 15, he said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. There is proof in following Jesus. There is something that needs to be seen. A person can hear you say that you are a Christian, but that person doesn't just need to hear your words. They actually need to see your life. Jesus also said you will know them by what? By their fruit. We, we need to see some fruit. And one of Paul's reasons for writing this letter to the church at Philippi is because they were exemplifying what it means to bear gospel fruit. What it means to say that I trust Jesus for salvation. I trusted him with my life. And my life is proof of that. Paul is writing this letter to thank the Philippians for their financial support. They supported him when he was in need. They sent a monetary gift to the Apostle Paul who's under house arrest in Rome. They sent it by a brother in the church by the name of Epaphroditus. We know that Epaphroditus was so committed to the gospel, Epaphroditus almost died taking the gift to the Apostle Paul. But nonetheless, this church supported the mission of the gospel. They knew that Paul was in jail. They had a warm and affectionate relationship with him. They wanted to support him, so they sent Paul some money. They, they actually put money on Paul's books. They, they sent Paul some money while he was locked up. They held Paul down. But Paul is not in prison because Paul did something crazy. No, Paul tells us why he's in prison. Paul is in prison unjustly, but Paul tells us why. Paul says, I'm in prison. This has happened to me. Why? Because it is advancing the gospel. It is advancing the gospel. And so the mission of God was not just connected to their heads. It was connected to their hearts and it fleshed itself out with what they did with their hands. 
And so the gospel had implications for this church. And Paul says this, I rejoice in the Lord. He rejoiced in the Lord because they renewed their care for him. He's saying, I rejoice in the Lord because he knew that they didn't do this out of their flesh, but the spirit of God was directing their hearts to take actions, to look out for Paul and to support Paul during his time of suffering. Paul said, you renewed your care for me. He appreciated their generosity. He appreciated that they were looking out for him. But Paul was always a little skeptical when it came to the area of finances in, in the area of giving. He was always a little skeptical. He believed in it, but Paul didn't want to put himself out as some sort of charlatan or some sort of prosperity preacher. He never wanted to allow the perception that he was in it for money to enter into the minds of the churches that he served. And so he didn't want that to be a hindrance. At times he actually refused financial support when he had a right to receive it because he preached the gospel. But Paul didn't want money to be a stumbling block to the people that he served. And so Paul never worked out of the motive of financial gain. Paul appreciated their generosity, but not because of what it did for him, but because of what it did for them. Oftentimes, you think that when you give something to somebody or when you give in church, it is about the person that is on the receiving end, not realizing that the blessing is also happening to the person that gave. And so, so the blessing is twofold. Paul appreciated their generosity for his own sake, but primarily Paul was excited about what that what that communicated about their relationship with God. And Paul, although he's in prison, although at times he had financial struggles, Paul was never really worried about money. Paul was never really stressing about whether he had the resources that he needed or not. And the reason why Paul felt this way is because Paul had a virtue that I think we all need to have and we all need to possess and we all need to pursue, and that is the virtue of contentment. If there's anything that our generation lacks, it is contentment. Our generation is the only generation that will post a picture on social media and get depressed if it doesn't have enough likes. If it don't hit the way you think it's supposed to hit, you will actually delete the picture that you posted. Meaning that you didn't post it for you, you actually posted it for people that don't really even know you. And if you feel that way, if you ever felt that, man, they didn't like my pictures, what does that say about me? You are struggling with contentment and you don't even know. And Paul is going to give us a lesson on contentment. Paul is grateful for the support, but he says something interesting that I think is life-changing for us if we allow ourselves to pursue this type of attitude. Paul says this in verses 11 through 13. I'm going to read it for you again. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, you're probably asking, what does whatever mean in the Greek? Whatever in the Greek means whatever. He says, I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot, i.e., I know how to make it do what it do. He says, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed well or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Whatever the circumstances are, if I have a little, I have a lot. If I'm, if I'm well-fed, my stomach is full or my stomach is growling. Whether I have an abundance, stimmy hit, 
the stemmy ran out. Whether in abundance or in need, I've learned contentment. The, the Greek word for contentment really is based on this idea of self-sufficiency. Stoic philosophers in Greek culture believed the idea was that sufficiency or contentment comes from within. If you just would look inside of yourself, you can find contentment. Contentment actually described the mindset of the person who had become dependent of all things and all people. So contentment in its original context meant to be self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. I'm not depending on anything or any person. All I need to do is I need to look inside of myself. You want me to build a bridge of contemporization? Let me put it to you like this. Here's our culture's idea of contentment. I'm self-made. I got it out the mud. Started from the bottom. I did it my way. Came up, that's all me. Stay true, that's all me. No help, that's all me. All me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just don't even, don't Google. But how many know that if true contentment was that easy, everybody would be content? It's this ever-elusive thing that happens in our culture where, where we, we are grasping for something, not realizing that we're grasping for thin air. But the, the contentment, the contentment that Paul is speaking of is not some elusive philosophical ideology. Paul was not content because he was independent. He was content because he was totally dependent, dependent upon Christ. He wasn't self-sufficient. He was Christ-sufficient. He's not talking about self-sufficiency. He's talking about Christ-sufficiency. If you need something, what you need is not a person or a thing. What you need is Jesus. He says contentment. I've learned the secret of contentment. Contentment is learned. He says in verse 11 and 12, for I've learned to be content. He says in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of contentment. He said, I learned it. It didn't happen magically. It didn't just appear. I didn't pray for it, speak in tongues, and then I was content one day. It didn't happen by happenstance. Contentment for Paul didn't happen by coincidence. Let me say this. You can't microwave contentment. Contentment is not high-speed internet. Contentment is dial-up. I was like, dial-up? What's dial-up? If you were born in the 80s, early 90s, you know what dial-up is. It took a long time. But this is what contentment is like. You don't learn contentment in a single situation. Paul says, I learned contentment. Here's what Paul is saying. He observed the character of God in all seasons. He observed how God came through for him in all phases, in all seasons that he went through. Whatever period of life Paul is in, he observed the character of God in it. And that's how he learned contentment. Paul could look back at several situations in his life and he can see that I could have been content then because God took care of me. You all, everybody in here can look back at seasons of our lives where we were filled with worry and anxiety and doubt and all of these things. And we look back at it and we say, why was I worrying anyway? What you realize is that the provision of God was evident in those seasons, even though you were stressing. 
The lesson should be that if he took care of me then, he'll take care of me now. If his provision was there then, his provision will be with me now. All I need to do is look back at how God moved in the pre previous season of my life. He is the same God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God does not change, we do. And so we can have contentment in him as we observe the character of God in all seasons of life. He says in any and all circumstances, Paul's experiences were many. He had some great experiences. He saw people come to know Jesus. He planted churches. He saw churches thrive. But Paul also was at times shipwrecked. Paul also knew it was like the ball when, 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 they, when they, they founded the church at Philippi. Paul met a group, Acts 16, he met a group of praying women who were praying. They heard what Paul had to say, and they responded to the call of the gospel. One lady in particular who was a seller of purple goods, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, who, had, who, had, who was getting the bag. <laughs> Get the bag. Uh, her name was Lydia. She, she had money. And then you know what she told Paul? While you're here, y'all can come stay at my house. And I'm sure that Lydia's pad was laced. Lydia had shiplap everywhere. She had like the new, new kind of kitchen that they got on the HGTV. She had all that, right? And, and so he knew what it was like, but he also knew what it was like to be shipwrecked. He knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. And in one instance, I want to read this to you in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 9. Here's what Paul said. He says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that, that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, watch this, but in God who raises the dead. That was the game changer for Paul. Paul knew that if he, if God raised his son out of the grave, that means that I can be content. If God raised Jesus from the dead, we can trust in him and therefore we can be content in him. If we look at the gospel, the gospel changes everything. If Jesus got out of the grave, then you and I can be content. We have nothing to worry about. We have evidence that God will always take care of us. God and the gospel changes everything. Because of contentment in Christ, here's what he means. I can manage the challenges of life and the call of Christ at the same time. Contentment really in Christ means I can manage the challenges of life and the call of Christ at the same time. And what does Paul say in Philippians 4, 13? He says the famous phrase that we've seen on every bumper sticker and we've seen every athlete say it after every game that they've won in every championship ever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we should ask ourselves before we put it on a bumper sticker, before our nephew scores a touchdown in a little league football game and we tell him what to say, maybe we should identify what the all things are. The all things is not a touchdown in the Super Bowl. The all things is not a man that's 5'5", five, five, slam dunking the basketball. Because you can say this all you want. You're not getting up there. It's not going to happen. So what does it mean? If we've taken its proper context, I'm able to do all things through him who gives me strength means that the all things are the things that Jesus is requiring me of me in this present season of my life. I can do whatever he's calling me to do right now. Whatever I'm facing, whatever the climate of my life is, I can do what he's calling me to do because I'm not doing it in my strength. I'm doing it in his strength. 
So when you say I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me, whatever Jesus is requiring of me right now in this season of my life, I can do it because God never asked me to do something where he hadn't already supplied the provision. So if you need strength, you can do all things because he gives you strength. Not in your own, but in his. We can be confident that we will be strengthened to do whatever God calls us to do or be whatever he needs us to be in the season he calls us in to do it. God infuses in us strength to sustain us wherever we are. So if you're having a hard time at life right now, God can give you strength. If you're having a hard time right now, God is saying that has nothing to do with your obedience. If you find it hard to live your life and obey God, he's saying you're able to do all things through him who gives you strength. So if you're saying I don't have money, so therefore I can't be a good steward, he's saying I'm giving you the strength to do what you need to do. I just need to take a break from church. I can't really serve right now because I got a lot of stuff going on. He's saying, if I called you to do it today, you got the strength to do it. Don't bring me your excuses. Bring me your availability. It doesn't mean that Christ enables Paul to do anything, but he strengthens him with the ability to endure any problem as he seeks to be faithful to the call of God. So whatever your problems are, you have the strength to endure it. So you can do all things through him that gives you strength. I can obey God in the season of not having all the information or not knowing exactly how things are going to play out. If I find myself an extended season of suffering, I have the strength to obey God in it because he is the one who supplies the strength for me. Here's the problem with our contentment because of our sin. Because of the fall, because of Genesis chapter 3, because of the fall, the major issue for us in learning contentment, especially in our generation, the major reason that we have a problem learning commitment or contentment in Christ is that we have not learned to find pleasure in him. So you can't be content in him because you don't find pleasure in him. But you think because I find pleasure in that, then I will be content in it. But that is fleeting. If you want true contentment, find pleasure in Jesus. He is a friend that sticks closer to the, to, than a brother. He is a good father. He is the best person that you could ever be in a relationship with. He's not schizophrenic. He's not crazy. He's not up and down. He won't switch up on you. He won't change. He's more loyal than you could ever be. He loves you more than you could love him. He's always forgiving you. His grace is always sufficient. So you can find pleasure in Jesus. You just got to want to. Man, what would it be like if we sought after pleasure in Christ like we do in other stuff? Christian contentment is comprehending that Christ is enough. That Christ is enough. Until he is our everything, nothing else that you seek after will give you the satisfaction that you think it will. Can I pastor for a second, please? So I'm going to say some stuff here that I have to pastor in the context that God has put me in. So, so I just want to apologize in advance because there's a little housekeeping that I need to do while I'm up here on this platform. I need to shepherd my church. I need to shepherd the flock of God that God gave me. I, maybe I'll change the message and use some different examples 
when I get another, if I get another church. But as long as I'm here, I need to shepherd this, this church. So, so let, let, me, let me talk a little bit about con- contentment. Um, 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 let, me, let me kill a, the, the me and somebody's son ministry. If I can just get somebody's son, I'll be satisfied. If you capture one more picture, me and somebody's son, I'm going to lose my mind. Up in here, up in here. But if all you're talking about is somebody's son, that's how you know you're not ready. You don't need somebody else's son. You need the son, capital S-O-N. Until you get the son, you're going to mess up somebody else's son. And so you need the son more than you need somebody else's son. So if you get the son, it won't matter what happens with somebody else's son because you'll be content in him. Me and somebody say, if you want, want do, it, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You, you, you're acting self-sufficient, not Christ-sufficient. Fellas, I didn't forget about you. If you get the one more bag, we don't get to the bag. We get to Christ. What you don't realize is more stuff won't bring you satisfaction. Only Jesus will. That includes money. I love what it says in Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. I, I, I love it. I, I love what, how Dr. Eugene Peterson words it. He, he says, and then he prayed, God, I'm asking for two things before I die. Don't refuse me. Banish lies from my lips and liars from my presence. Give me food to live on, neither too much nor too little. If I'm too full, I might get independent. Saying, God, who needs him? I'm balling out of control. But if I'm poor, God, I need a little something. I I might steal and dishonor the name of my God. And so it points and highlights for us the challenges of too much and too little. But God just made me content wherever I am. That's why... The scripture tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's what you need to know. Both lack and abundance has the uncanny ability to expose who we are at our core. Both lack and abundance will reveal who you really are. But there's a way in which followers of Jesus have been called to handle a little and handle a lot. There's a responsibility that we have as stewards, stewards, managers of God's resources. We, we have a responsibility whether I have a little or have a lot. If God gives me what I pray for or I don't have it, I have a responsibility to manage and steward faithfully what God has given to me. Let me tell you something. How you steward $100 is the same way you will steward $100,000. Facts. You know how many people I've, I've heard say, man, if I get a million dollars, I'm going to buy the church, I'm going to buy us a building. I hear you. But as soon as you get that $1 million, I think the one we got is fine. <laughs> I was just thinking, why, why would we do that? Whatever it looks like now for you in stewardship is what it will look like when you get what you've been praying for. So the secret is to find contentment now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 says this. 
6 through 10 says this, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Verse 7, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So we have enough food and clothing. Let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, notice it doesn't say money. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But if you find contentment, then the problem that we have with generosity won't be a problem. And this is what happens to the church at Philippi. They're content. Therefore, they can be generous. Would you look at verses 14 through 20? Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for me for my needs several Several times, not that I seek to give, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you provided a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. They are demonstrating what it means to be content and generous, although they are impoverished people. Why, why would you say that they're impoverished? If you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul highlights the Macedonian churches who in their poverty gave an extreme amount of generosity. They were overflowing in generosity. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The story of generosity from the Macedonian churches, which Philippians was one. If you read 2 Corinthians 8 through 1 through 6, let's read it together. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can tell that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. And so this is that church. When he talks about the Macedonian churches, Philippi is one of those churches. And so they have given him gifts several times. If you, several times, if you remember at the outset of our sermon series in verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul says, because of your, I'm praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They had always been a generous group of people, but they had every reason not to be. This is a new church. So they didn't use the excuse of being young and broke not to be generous. By this act of giving and generosity, they refused to let money take control of them instead of them taking control of money. This is how I know they're experiencing not only contentment, but the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We looked at that last week, right? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Now it makes sense in this context. You know how you can give to God even when you're not having a lot of money, even when you think that you have a season of lack going on, even when you don't think you have enough. You know how you can still give to God because the peace of God will surpass all understanding. It keeps you from being irrational with money. And here they are. When seemingly they don't have enough money, they have a generous heart. They have limited resources, 
they understood the significance of gospel ministry and how it radically transformed their lives so they didn't catch ministry from their money. This young church is so committed to Christ and understood the necessity of spreading the gospel that they didn't disconnect their relationship with God from the impact of their money. They didn't benefit from the gospel and refused to invest in it. Oftentimes we benefit from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes our lives radically. But then we detach our pocketbook from it. Relax. This is not, I'm not doing some supernatural offering at the end. Chill out. But, but this, is, this is highlighting that if there's contentment and trust that God will supply your needs, that he will strengthen you, then I don't have to worry about being generous. That, that, that he is teaching me to be generous. He says, in fact, you, you, you lack the opportunity to show your concern for me. They were looking for an opportunity to be generous. How often do you look for opportunities to give away some stuff? I know we look for ways to get it, but do we look for ways to give it? Paul knew that they understood the, the, the phrase of the scripture, it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul says this, not, 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 not that I seek your gift, I appreciate it, but, but that's not my primary thing. As the apostle, I, I, I appreciate the gift, but more so, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more glad and joyful about the profit that is increasing to your account. This is what he says. He uses his banking terminology. And profit there literally means fruit. It literally means fruit. It literally means spiritual fruit. I seek the profit, the fruit that is being added to your account. They're, they're actually growing because giving is not a matter of a dollars and cents. It's a matter of discipleship. When, whenever, whenever we talk about money here, we don't talk about money here often, but, but never, never think money is some separate issue from your life and your walk with Jesus. Money is actually a discipleship issue. Money is a spiritual matter. Money is a spiritual matter, and what you do and your approach with your perception of it matters to God. I hope you hear me. I'm really trying to teach you something that, that you can grow and mature with. When, when we talk about money, it's not about money. It's about discipleship. This is an indication of their spiritual growth. At the outset of the letter, Paul had a prayer for them. Paul says, I pray that your love will keep on growing in every kind of knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Feel with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is not just what they do with their morality, but also what they did with their money. We can't separate the two. This is what God is calling us to. This is a sign of their spiritual health. And some of us are unhealthy in that one area. They are progressing in sanctification as they give. The work of God is working in their hearts. There is no apex that we reach as Christians. There is always room for us to grow, even in our stewardship. We should be so committed to growing that we put a plan in place that says giving to God in the kingdom is my priority. Are y'all with me? Y'all was with me on that contentment. And here's what Paul says in verse 18, but I have received everything in full. I received everything in full. I, I'm, I, I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied. And the crazy thing 
When he's, I love it, the crazy thing he says, when he says, I receive everything in full, it lit, and I promise you, and Paul is being funny, he's using a banking term, but he's being funny, it literally means in the Greek, when he says, I receive everything in full, Paul is saying, I got the receipts. It literally means that, that I have the receipts. You are who you profess to be. I have proof of it. Your support is not just about the money. Your support, your, your, your support is proof that you're actually following Jesus. I got receipts, but the, the sad thing of us is that we don't have no receipts. We ain't paid no invoices or anything. And if somebody asks you, are you a follower of Jesus, you'll say yes. They ask you, are you growing? You will say yes, but then detach it from your money. But Paul is literally saying, I'm paid in full. I got the receipts. You, you've done more than enough. We think our giving is somehow helping the church and others, and it stops there. No, it's working in us to grow us in grace. It is making us more like Jesus who gave everything. I'm done. Here's what he says. He says, it's a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. What he's saying is your giving is actually worship. Worship is not just a fast song and a slow song at the beginning of service. Worship is how you respond to the call of Christ and his gospel. Worship is everything that you do with your life. I say this every Sunday. You showing up to work on time is worship. You not clocking out 5, 4.55 is worship. Because you're stewarding what God gave you. You serving in church is an act of worship. You being obedient to God is an act of worship. He says it's his fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. They supply Paul needs, but Paul has a problem. Paul can't help them back. Paul can't pay them back. Why? Paul's in prison. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Paul is saying, I can't help you. And that's good, because God can. And he has an unlimited supply of resources. I'm limiting what you've been waiting for people to pay you back. You've been waiting for people to take care of you. But God is the one who will supply all of your needs. And don't you dare sit here today and, and, and reduce God down to dollars and cents. When he says he'll supply your needs, that's not just money, that's whatever you need. And some of us got enough money we don't have joy. We got money, but we have no peace. We, we got money, but, but we need to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And my God will supply all of your needs. Notice he doesn't say God will supply all of your greed. I'll supply all of your needs. God will take care of us. God knows better than anybody. Not just what you want, but what you need. That's a beautiful promise. Paul makes it personal. And my God, not God, but mine that I'm familiar with. 
mine that I've seen work in my life, mine that's right here with me in this mess that I'm in, mine that promised to never leave me nor forsake me, mine that's been with me through every season of my life, mine that's been with me when I had marital problems, mine that's with me when I'm single and lonely, mine that's with me when I have a bank account full of money, but my God that's with me when I'm broken, my account is in the negative, my God when I don't feel like serving anymore, my God when I feel like serving everybody, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That is a beautiful promise for us and something that we should live into. But we have to trust him. Our ultimate need is not stuff. Our ultimate need is salvation. And we have that in Christ. We have it in Christ. So if you're asking, what is the big idea of contentment and generosity. They produce two things that are Paul's goals for the Christian. Their growth and God's glory. Contentment and generosity produces their growth and God's glory. So I'm wondering today, do we have any receipts? You've trusted in Jesus. I don't know about you. I know I want to know what it's like to experience contentment in Christ Jesus. But it is something that we can't snap our fingers and make happen. It is something that we have to live into in our day-to-day lives. And to close this letter, verses 21 through 23, Paul tells him to greet all the saints. Tell everybody I said what's up. The brothers who are with me, they send you greetings too. All the saints send you greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. You know what that means? That means that the people who were serving the top political people in Rome were coming to know Jesus because of Paul. They were supplying Paul's needs. They they were taking care of Paul. And Paul was advancing the gospel. He says, even the saints in Caesar's household, your brothers and sisters that you've never met yet, told me to tell you, hey, because the grace of God is at work here with me. And because I got the receipts, I know the grace of God is at work in you. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.